0: Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Most of the population accepts that climate change is real. Most want to do something about it, but What shall we ask them to do and what's the best way to elicit a response? Well, recently the EECA, that's the Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority, released an updated version of their survey into attitudes towards climate change. And the results show that who you are, where you live and what you earn may well dictate what you actually believe and how much you're prepared to do and support climate action. Well, to explain that survey and the thinking around it, I'm joined by Joe Bai, who's the GM of Marketing and Communications at EECA. Such a mouthful, EECA. There could have been a sexier acronym, I would have thought, Joe. but welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Vincent. Great to be here. And yeah, those for us, we just call it ECA.
0: It's how ECA. All right. Yeah. Well, let's stick to ECA. Well, thanks for um, coming on and telling us about the survey. So this is not the first time you've surveyed attitudes towards climate change, right? Uh, Now, this is not the first time you have asked this uh, or done the survey, right?
1: No, that's right, Vincent. We've actually been working alongside our research partners at TRA for close to four years at ECA so that we can understand uh, New Zealanders' attitudes, behaviours, sentiment basically to do with energy use and climate change. And it's a fairly critical input into our work programs. So we publish quarterly monitors on consumer attitudes and half yearly monitors for business decision makers.
0: Mm, well, I, I think your work is really valuable, not just for you, but for anyone that's working in this space. So at the uh, risk of um, forcing you to contract it down into a few minutes, can you tell us kind of give us an overview of what's changing uh, with regard to climate change attitudes?
1: No problem. The first thing that we knew we wanted to do is we have had this rich data set for the last three and a half years, uh, but it's always been at an aggregate level. And what we took to do in the last six months is break that down by income, gender, age, regionality and cultural background to see just what differences and disconnects might exist at that uh, subset kind of level. Mm. And uh, yeah, in the risk of doing a poor job of summarising such data (laughs) into a few minutes, you know, the headline is that we are far more united than we are divided, um, which I think is a great premise from which to start from. So, you know, over 80% of us New Zealand adults um, accept and acknowledge that climate change is real. Um, that's plateauing off a little slightly at this stage. But nonetheless, we are seeing that um, the unconvinced uh, as a subset just continue to ebb away. So we're only sitting at 14% in our latest read of people not convinced that climate change is real, and that's that's a fantastic start. The mm-hmm. problem is, is that the majority of us continue to deprioritize it. You know, there are just so many other immediate concerns and issues that uh, sort of trumpet on the leaderboard. So, but nonetheless, that too is universal. Um, Where we do see differences that were kind of exposed in this research was that how old we are, what our gender is, where we live, how much we earn and our cultural background, they definitely do determine how we prioritise climate change and what we do do about it. So some of the key findings um, that we included in the research were that, uh, and maybe this is probably a logical place to kick off, you know, different generations do think about climate change differently, what causes it, how it impacts them, and uh, what they want to do about it. And Mm. the age range um, of New Zealanders who find it uh, the biggest concern is those between 20 and 29. So they sort of rank it about number five on the issues List, whereas the rest of us all kind of have it down at number fourteen or fifteen hmm. in the issues letter board. Do you have um, a
0: um, just before we, we carry on, but do you have a explanation for that?
1: I think they've grown into adulthood at a time in which obviously climate change has become a um, a huge theme, and they've hmm. been galvanised by that. Hmm. Uh, but I think they're young enough that um, they haven't necessarily wedded themselves to huge life choices yet. Uh, and so, you know, they can kind of pivot and move with, you know, they're far more open to making those lifestyle mm. changes um, that those of us who are a little bit further along um, maybe are prepared to do. Um, but mm. they're also seeing it as, a, as, a, as the macro global issue that it is, and they're willing to kind of contribute. They're much more purposeful, I think. They're willing mm-hmm. to kind of contribute to the solutions. But, you know, that's that's speculative um, from my perspective. But nonetheless, it's where we saw most galvanised um, age range. And strangely, we probably would have thought would just tack on teenagers into that same sort of subset. But actually, they're less convinced, the 18 to 19-year-olds, Um, In some respects, they're actually closer to the beliefs of their parents, and maybe that's actually logical as well. They're still in the nest, um, and they need Mm. more guidance as to what to think about this, you know, quite complex issue. And then the other um, interesting point that came out was in in the last three years, the biggest shift that we've seen in age has been in those aged 50-plus, you know, so they've really stepped up. They've always been the laggard in terms of belief on climate change. And in the last few years, we've seen them go from 74% to 79% um, acknowledging and accepting that it's real. So a significant step forward. And now hmm. we've got quite a lot of convergence in that belief space. So well done. My, to the, <laughs>
0: well well done, the uh, slightly aged. Uh, yeah. Is there a difference between men and women? My, my sense is that... Men are more reluctant to accept the reality of climate change, and then also to act.
1: That's right. It can. Um, it's almost like we're feeding into a cliche, but uh, it's true. Men are harder to galvanise. So women have consistently always accepted um, or been higher at accepting that climate change is real. So they sit at around eighty five percent, while men sit at around seventy eight percent, and that gap hasn't closed. Mm the last three years um, and from that belief falls into um, similar uh, reluctance to then do anything about it so uh, women are f- far more um, accepting that actually they need to make personal change um, and they don't see it necessarily being something that will reduce their quality of life whereas men are more concerned about that mm, so interesting yeah, those, you, those uh that they do exist. What about
0: um, where, where you live? Is uh, again, let's. Well, we, we probably could all uh, make some predictions, but what do the facts say? Does it matter where you, what part of the country you live, or whether you're rural or urban?
1: Uh, this is an interesting space. And I expected there to be a difference, but um, perhaps reassuringly, there is actually no dif- real difference between um, what you. F- think about climate change being real um, based on where you live. So urban or rural, uh, we're aligned on that. And I think that's a great premise again from which to build out our work programs because um, you, you do tend to get this perception that uh, those who live in the country uh, have different thoughts uh, versus those that live in the city on mm. climate and it's great to see that that doesn't exist and actually, you know, Hmm. perhaps more depressingly is neither group is making any prioritisation around it. So we agree passively that it exists and now obviously we need to step up the the actual action that we take.
0: Hmm. And the
1: action, you also tested
0: people on uh, because there's one thing about accepting the science or the reality of it and then you also tested what sort of actions people are prepared to take. Where are we... I don't know, as a nation, on the journey towards active change? You know, what what are you sensing pre- people are prepared to either give up or or change to?
1: It's where the biggest gap lies, Vincent. So, if, you know, if the majority of us accept and acknowledge that climate change is real, 82 83% of New Zealand adults, only 22% of us, so one in five, are strongly in agreement to actually take some personal action and contribute to the solution. And that's hmm. that's that's the gap, right? Um, and that's the encouragement that we have to put out there to New Zealanders to get on board and, and to make those changes. So I'd say that that's where the focus has to be, is to encourage more people to take up action um, to get on their journey basically with with climate change um,
0: action you, you had a um a, a sort of i think you almost called it a journey or a series of, a, a, a kind of series of steps of people were prepared to, to take in the presentation <laughs> with uh sort of kind of minor you know minor interventions like maybe shifting to fair trade coffee or organic this and that, you know, so that it's 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 just really a small choice between black and white or, you know, something slightly more greenish. What is that journey and have you found that as a marketer you're able to nudge people into kind of bigger decisions by using these micro decisions?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Vincent, and ultimately that's exactly what we hope, that's the intention of the work that we do. So it almost acts like a funnel. And um, most marketers recognize the, the beauty of the, the consumer funnel. But the fact is, is that you start at, at the top end of that funnel, which is all around trying to engage people, uh, drive awareness, make people um, sort of pique their curiosity just enough at the topic in general, and then you try and, and bring them down. And in a nutshell, action leads to more action. And the more action you do, the higher propensity to take more impactful action and as you take that more impactful action you're then more uh open to systemic change Mm -hmm. and you know cue enlightenment but essentially that that is the job for us to do and it's not linear obviously and it's also not always based on philosophical value sets you know i might take the bus because there happens to be a bus stop immediately outside my front door and it is quickest way for me to get to work. I don't care that actually it's a mission reduction um, action. So um, that's the case, though, that we make is um, the intention is to try and connect at a mainstream level with people to let them know that climate change is there, there are ways that you can contribute. These are the actions that we would recommend you consider and whatever you can contribute, that drop Mm. in the bucket it's worthwhile. You know, As big, however big that bucket is, it's a finite bucket. And as small as your drop is, the more of us that do it um, the, and how quickly we do it, it will fill up in time. And I think that's that's the point. Uh, and a lot of what Genless is about is trying to uh, empower people to realise that they actually can shape the future, that they can contribute that you know, mm. your actions aren't inconsequential uh, and that those small incremental shifts that you make um, in your household, they they matter.
0: What are the early ones that get, get you wins, you know, that start people on a journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, the typical first response that you get from anybody is that they recycle. And mm. sometimes we used to eye roll at that because... Uh, as, as much as that's an environmental, um, has an environmental impact and it's really critical for other factors, it's not the most direct carbon emission reducing action you can take, but we've come to recognise it's imp- it's critical as a gateway action. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy, it's light, it gets people into sort of thinking a bit more about sustainable living uh, and it, it opens them up to to the kind of the topic. So that, you know, People typically tend to start there. I was a recycling Viking um, when I didn't know more about actually how I used my car and how yeah. much of a contribution that would actually make to the planet. So, you know, um, you know, there's, there's benefits to why that's an important action. Doing things at home like um, swapping out your incandescent light bulbs for LEDs, you know, that's sort of a one-off switch. Mm. Makes you feel really good once you do it. Uh, and you're done. But that is quite easy again. And then you start heading down the funnel. And of course, you know, one of the trickiest sections to do is uh, about how you reduce your transport emissions, which probably is your household's biggest proponent, right, of mm. emissions, CO2 emissions. Mm. It's probably related to how many cars you might have sitting in the garage and how much distance you do in those cars, how frequently you use them in the week. Uh, And that's probably the area that we do try and focus some attention on, you know, make people aware, actually, because that's the first thing. They don't even realise that transport is likely to be their biggest contribution to carbon Mm. emissions. Mm. Um, So getting them engaged in that fact alone And then what are the different solutions that they could take? You know, are you Mm -hmm. at a point where you might be researching uh, a different vehicle at this stage? Could you make it a more energy efficient one? Could you go full electric? If that's not yet on the cards, how about reducing your use of the car? How about trialling public transport? How about getting out and, um, you know, using your feet or um, going and test riding an an e-bike and seeing how that might work? Work for mm. you in your lives. So, lots of different options, not necessarily always the most convenient. And that's a job for us and alongside a lot of other, you know, um, service providers and, and agents out there to try and, and make it easier for people.
0: I read some research a while ago about talking to different groups about climate change. And the test was do you use the same language talking to green, conservative? libertarian sort of by political group and it was quite interesting that the outcome was you actually have to change some of the language and the priorities right when you're talking with conservatives for instance uh, the words that resonated were around independence security uh, leadership Um, talking to um, you know greens uh, or liberals it was about biodiversity or about you know saving the planet and and so on have you tested any of that kind of? I guess it's maybe it's political language, or is it philosophical language about the way that you you phrase things? And even if you haven't tested them, maybe you know some of that literature, right?
1: That's definitely what this research uh, is acting as you know a phased approach is designed to do. First step for us was just to understand what differences exist between those subsets. Absolutely, what we now need to do is to further understand how does that therefore impact the way that messaging is framed or the barriers that actually exist on some of those actions and how they're adopted. What, yeah, how do we need to reframe it to suit different groups um, and what co-benefits might mm. we need to utilise? You know, for example, mm. one of the biggest benefits um, – stated benefits that people see with purchasing an EV is the lack of air pollution so perhaps what we need to start and including into our um, conversations and our messaging around um, adopting EVs is the co-benefit the health co-benefits and the reduction of air pollution that no doubt um, come as a um, you know a benefit to choosing EVs so that's absolutely the direction of play that we'll go into now. Understand
0: mm-hmm.
1: what, what, how how do we need to frame um, in order to create the biggest motivation?
0: Yeah, and that's so interesting. And as you mm-hmm. as you're discovering, it's different for different segments of the population. Right? There's not one rule that that um, suits. Uh, it, and just as an anecdote, I mean, I started e-biking about five years ago, and. It was a transformational moment for me, but my motivation into it was sort of a little bit green, but mostly it's because I'm stingy and the idea yeah. of paying for parking and gas was just so f- annoying to me. Yeah, And, of course, it, it. you're absolutely right. It's a gateway experience. You know, as you're blasting down the cycle path and you're looking at all these cars backed up on the motorway and you start thinking, actually, it's entirely possible to get out of that little polluting machine and get on your yeah. bike and and all those co-benefits you've just talked about it's joyful let's get you fit it is so much fun
1: yeah, um, yeah.
0: riding the e-bike
1: yeah I absolutely agree um and you know I, I chuckle at the fact that You know, just uh, under two years ago when I joined ECA, even though I came for the whole purpose of um, contributing to to the solutions here, I still asked my CE um, whether I got a car park um, joining the team. I can't believe it. (laughs) He quizzically looked at me and said, well, no, it's sort of not kind of the right behaviour. And it's only until, though, that you have that forced Um, reality you know no Mm. car park made available did it uh, enable me to really experiment and trial the other options of which there's a smorgasbord when you when you live in the inner west of Auckland as I think you do too Vincent but yeah um, and it just opened up you know a whole new channel and yeah I'm I'm a big e-bike fan as well.
0: Uh, It just is so much fun. And then, of course, working from home has been good. The next step on from sort of this consumer action and addressing your own personal footprint is is probably starting to look at systemic change, right, which then pushes Mm. you into the political or into the activist area. Did your research identify, is there a group of people who have been activated politically by climate change? Do you have any sense of that?
1: I guess we keep pretty focused to to just the levers that ECA has at its disposal, you know, uh, regulation, co-investment, motivation. So our our team fundamentally operates under that motivational lever, the Marcoms, the communications team. But, you know, no single lever by itself is, is enough you know, we need to have all levers operating in parallel uh, or codependent, you know, um, and it's just mm-hmm. a matter of, of understanding the, the roadmap um, and which lever needs to be pulled at one time in order to kind of entice um, the right progress. Uh, mm. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's how our work program is, is designed and um, that's what we keep pretty focused on and, you know, ultimately the motivation. There are different groups. There's, there's a business audience, which is really important. Um, but for the most part at this stage, while we're quite still in that early formative climate change, behaviour change, uh, life stage, we're still all about broad messaging and trying to get people, you know, broadly on the electric bus.
0: <laughs> Your background as a marketer, you've had a lot of experience in, as a marketer. You've worked in supermarkets. You've worked for, I think, ASOS, the big um, clothing brand. Uh, you've worked in B2B with um, Archpro, I think, that you've you've worked Arch with. So Pro, you've, you've, yeah. Had, yeah, you've had lots of experience, right, in, in I suppose, persuading people to buy things, to change their behaviour. Um, how is can you apply that same sort of marketing discipline that you've had for those brands into this area now? Where and I, you know, let's not be too, I suppose, uh, saintly about it. But you know what you're doing now really matters, right? Like we we this resolving climate change is is really quite important. Um, that sort of social change that how is that related to marketing change it can you use the same disciplines
1: well I have been Vincent so people will have to let me know whether it's working or not but (laughs) I certainly I certainly you know you're trying to entice people to advocate for your brand or your theme or your issue um or by your dress you know that's at the end of the day that's what you're trying to do you're trying to encourage people to want to care about it mm. want to care enough and you're absolutely right the difference is you know a few years ago i used to be able to say if there was some sort of mini crisis going on it's okay guys we just sell dresses it's okay we just sell dresses mm. i can't use that same um you know composing sort of metaphor anymore because climate change is a big deal and it does matter how much impact our work has, um, and it matters how we, you know, use our resources. Um, but in terms of fundamentally going, what is the insights about the consumers? What are the barriers that are preventing them from adopting this thing? And how do we be where they are, um, mindful of how they're using their time, Where which media um, are they in, what's their, you know, um, mental space and capacity, and therefore, how do we manoeuvre ourselves around to, you know, to mm. to try and do the right thing in the right place? Mm. Um, that that is, in principle, the same. Mm. Um, and and I think though that when you know that there's so much noise out there, and that there are competing crises uh, in this volatile environment that we're operating in, the the. You, you know, you have, there's an element of you need to be bold because otherwise it's going to be hard to make any mm. kind of cut through. Mm. And there's also an element of needing to provoke a little bit and put some bite out there. Otherwise people keep um, sleepishly being in the inertia that they're quite comfortable to stay in. So you're just tap dancing. You, you, it's a fine line with wanting to be really empathetic of all the issues that are going on for people. Uh, but also actually create some space for this really important topic that we just do mm. not have the luxury of waiting a decade until people mm. have got space for. Um, so that's that's the challenge, uh, and and it's a really it's a moving feast. You know what what was New Zealand and where our society was kind of sitting maybe. 10 months ago to the, the last six months of, you know, more trauma that's probably gone on for people, it's forcing us to have to be um, really instinctive and really keep our finger on the pulse as to just where people are at. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So- what a challenge. And um, personally, how you, you, you know, it's, in some ways it's quite existential, the the burden you know, that you, well, now that you know, it's hard to not know, isn't it, is um, kind of one well yeah. of the challenges. Um, yeah. So are you enjoying the role or is it, um, is it too much?
1: Ah, oh, it's a fantastic program. It's, you know, the Genless communications platform that Eka launched two and a half years ago to try and create this environment mm-hmm. in which um, substantial change can take place. And for Genless to be that you know, to spark that change and create that momentum. It's a huge privilege to be part of that program at a time in which, you know, we're 20% of the way through a decade that is the most critical that Mm. perhaps we've ever, you know, seen on climate change. We're 20% of the way through. We have eight more years to get a significant transformation happening in our society and, uh yeah, you carry the responsibility of it, but also um, there's a lot of wonderful stakeholders. There's a lot of momentum building out there, quite frankly. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of my team as well would agree there's nowhere else would rather be than try and help, you know, bring on this change, bring mm. on this sector.
0: Yeah, well, good for you. All right. Well, tell us about Genlis. I mean, we we see the ads a lot and, we, you know, we see it's it's a beautiful brand and I, I I, um, I think Nick Worthington, who was then at Colenso, was was deeply involved. And he's been on the show, and he's a, he's a friend of the show. Um, where is the campaign at? And um, yeah, give us a, a summary of where you've got to, and then we'd love to hear about where you're going. What's it going to look like in eight years' time when we're bathing in success?
1: Yeah, that's the that's the beauty. Genless, it's an awesome platform for those that are not that familiar with it. It's designed to motivate and inspire New Zealanders to live more with less energy. And it, it does it with, through the lens. It's more editorial. You know, we're trying to share and showcase ordinary and extraordinary New Zealanders on their journeys uh, through living more with less energy and in the hope that it encourages others. It provides examples for others to get on board. And that's because we also know that, you know, as much as the majority of pressure around climate change today is coming from society, and in inverted yeah. commas, yeah. actually where it needs to come from is friends and family. Uh, that's where the right amount of pressure should be applied because you tend to fall into line or... or um, you know, get peer pressured by your friends and family a whole lot better than you do at a Mm. more macro level. So we want to create those social norms and that grassroots-type community groundswell around the work that is going on with Gen Less. It's into its third campaign year, as I've kind of mentioned, uh, launching into this whole climate change space uh, exactly at the same time as a global health pandemic is um, not the challenge that you'd prefer, but that is the environment that we're in. And um, nonetheless, you know, we have to carry on and we're really amazed at the brand in terms of its, you know, accelerating and awareness and growing really well and it's resonating with people. I think
0: Mm -hmm. one
1: of the unofficial kind of markers of success is when you start receiving a lot more um, corporate, organizations, businesses and brands sort of wanting to mm. uh, work with GenLess, understand, you know, how GenLess could help them in the way in which they uh, do staff engagement, etc., and kind of live in a GenLess Gen way. And that's, that's a real reassurance for us that what mm. we're doing, how we're doing it is actually, you know, starting to sort of have claws and resonate a lot. Um, we also know our data confirms for us that people who see our campaigns, they take more action. So that continues to be our impetus let mm. more people see our campaigns so that ultimately we can try and encourage more people to, to take up action and to do it and to reinforce those messages, those messages in channels where people are in ways that's going to connect with them and also in using messengers um, who they trust. And will resonate well
0: with them. So that's I think kind of- yeah, that's good. And I think what at least one of the success factors is that you have created the sense that it's um, uh, that's where the young people are. You know, the sort of sense of like, if I'm not on board, man, I am probably I'm I'm on the wrong side of history. You know, I am the old I'm in yeah. the old fogies club, and I think that emphasis on the youthfulness. It's, it's a very youthful brand, even though the, the content of it might might be, um, you know, a very old company changing their their electricity management systems. You know, it can be quite dry. But that youthfulness kind of plays into what you were talking about right at the beginning, right, that, that young people have grasped the scale and they, in some ways, they are going to be setting the agenda, right, for how organisations run, for the decisions where investments are going to go,
1: that's right. Yeah, that's it. It's um, it's sort of not. It, it's it's a brand that has that contemporary it has a um, bounciness to it. You know, it's optimistic, um, and so that possibly uh, makes it more playful and, and resonate slightly with a younger audience. So, you know, we're very conscious that Gen is is one that needs to um, talk to the whole of our country and to all demographics, et cetera. Uh, And so, you know, we continue to navigate our way through how best to do that. Uh, But, yeah, Gen you know, in terms of next year, our intentions and our our progress that we want to make, you know, it's going to be a huge year for private sector and public sector decarbonisation. You know, big Mm. businesses are going to be making a lot of decisions around investment into getting off fossil fuels and and sharing those emissions reductions plans. And we want to sit alongside them. So for us, Gen Less, we want to encourage more demand uh, from consumers, um, play their part to actually want to buy from climate-friendly businesses and organisations, demand Mm. more transparency from the services and the brands, and the businesses that they spend their hard-earned dollars with getting even more hard-earned. So, you know, that, that will be for us over the next 12 months is how do we really ignite that um, conscious consumerism mm. uh, and almost act as the pincer, this work that Ike is doing and supporting businesses to decarbonize. How do we support that from a consumer lens and actually trying to drum up more demand for it?
0: Yeah, good. Well, I hope you succeed. What does success look like for you, Joe? You know, how do you know when you've uh, done your job?
1: Uh, well, ultimately, I think for all of us that work in this space, you know, we haven't done our job until you know we're at a net zero carbon, climate resilient, Aotearoa in twenty fifty. Uh, that's has got to be the the vision for for everybody who operates in this space. Nonetheless that's quite lofty and (laughs) uh, off into the ether. And so, yeah, we have, you know, measurement frameworks that help us step through the progress that Gen Ness is making. Um, It really, you know, that's coming back to the research, that's where these monitors are crucial. They give us the litmus test for where Mm. sentiment is at and where adoption of behaviour is at. And there's no doubt about it. There is a lot of work to do to help encourage New Zealanders to want to demand more so that as and when those regulatory or legislative changes do come in, that, you know, we're all fully supportive of it and, and we're getting on the bus. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what success looks like to us. Is, you know, for me personally, it's an environment where my two kids flourish. You know, they grow up and the, the climate inheritance that we've afforded them is one that allows them to live really full, awesome lives. Mm. Um, yeah, and until mm. then, the work keeps going.
0: Yeah, good. Um, your research, you've published it, and you've been very generous with it. If marketers and other influencers want to learn more about it, do you, can you share that data, with and money. are there other places they can learn from you about this insight?
1: Yeah, I mean, our door is open. So if there are those that are out there who want uh, a more personalised or specific um, conversation to take place, we can. But our intention with all our research and data is to make it available, make the raw data available too so that people, um, you know, academics and analysts and the like can actually take the the raw data and and manipulate it how they would like to see it. But it's all available there on our eca.gov um, mm. Website and um Ness, it's you know, as a, as a website, it has a plethora of information to help people and organizations take positive climate action. So, I really encourage people to go out there and have a look at it.
0: Well, that's great. Thanks, Joe, and uh, keep fighting the good fight. And um, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Vincent. It's great to talk.
0: This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us.